Deline Bray is reporting for duty to bring physical and health education with a noble purpose. You're listening to Deline Bray's radio show at DeleanBrays.com. We are Avengers of Health. Welcome, Brays. I'm Ron Jones with Frank Ferencic and Michael Campy from the Lean Brace today, and we're here to talk about fitness as a subversive activity. So, Michael, welcome to the show. Frank, welcome to the show. First time with the Lean Brace. I'm very excited to have you on today. Great to be with you. Yeah, feeling Good is likewise, Michael and, uh, and Frank. And, Michael, you came up with the title, so why don't you go ahead and start and explain that a little bit? Because that might not be something that at least our fitness listeners are used to hearing. Well, I think it's the idea that um, fitness should not be compartmentalized. It shouldn't be go to church on Sundays to take care of the spiritual thing, go to the gym three days a week to take care of the physical thing, and then spend the rest of your time in a mindless pursuit of uh, whatever it is you're pursuing. Mm -hmm. That it needs to be more of a holistic approach. And that fitness and health and strength need to be used for the betterment of your community rather than just uh, for the betterment of your uh, your next selfie. Right, and that's that plays right into your work, Frank, with exuberant <clears throat> animal, and um, you know you've been uh, writing and talking and teaching and thinking all of this for what, about forty years. You said before the show. Right. Yeah. It's been a long time. And I think that um, an easy way to think about this, I make a distinction between the body as an end in itself or a means to an end. And what we see mostly in the fitness industry is the body as an end in itself. So we try and make it pretty. We, we try and make it look good. And the body is a thing to be sculpted or trained. And, and that end in itself idea that's actually pretty unique it's pretty kind of abnormal in terms of human history indigenous cultures never looked at the body that way the body was all, always a means to getting around in the world and and performing in the world so right off the bat we see a disconnect between um, the old and the new Right. We're talking about very old ideas here. Um, as Michael kind of pointed out with the title, this, the idea that our, our, our state of physicality is, is just being uh, cosmetic. I mean, the Greeks didn't think of it that way. It had a, what we like to call a noble purpose, you know, something of higher building good citizenship and things like that. Um, but yeah, we're pretty superficial at this point. Uh, <laughs> it'd be nice to have a little bit, uh, more to it than that, and you, you've been uh, exploring an idea about um, the long body and uh, how it relates to tribal community and, and things like that, and, and your book is called The, uh, is it the Art of Long? Art is Long? The, the Art is Long. The Art yes, is Long, the right. Art is long. Okay. Can you tease that out a little right. bit? And, and, yeah, the idea here, when we talk about the long body or we talk about big health, the idea that keeps coming up again and again is continuity. And this is an old idea, again. It's um, an indigenous idea that the body is really continuous with habitat and with tribe, with the world around us. The body doesn't really end at the outermost layer of our skin. And 
it, it sounds maybe kind of mystical or metaphysical, but there's lots of good science that shows that there, there is a profound link between the state of our habitat and the state of our bodies, so that this continuity is very important. And it, it's all about context. And if we get the context right, then, then the body's going to follow along. So that's what the, the, the long body idea is all about. It's, um, in modern culture, what we do, we look at the body as an object. We look at it as an isolated individual. We put the body on the, on the examination table, and we probe it with various instruments, and we isolate it from its natural context. So sometimes that works but it also gives us some very strange ideas about health because a lot of us now think that health can be something that happens in isolation apart from the world, and it can't. You know, this reminds me, I think I mentioned this to you, Michael, the, a book called um, The Education of the Whole Man by L.P. Jacks. It was written in the 1930s. He was an Oxford philosophy <laughs> professor and a big thinker of the day, and he um, was the type of person that you know would come over here and speak to President Hoover and people in Washington D.C. and policymakers. But he wrote. It's a fascinating read. It's in a very old book that very few people know about. And he talked about the problems with education being compartmentalized and how we teach, you know, let's say sex education is a biological thing, but it, we know we forget the spirituality part of it, or we teach anatomy and, okay, here's the muscle insertion and, you know, the action. And we, we forget, we teach math, but it's separate from uh, the physics of the body and how it moves through space. I, it was it was really a fascinating read, but it, basically the book, because he was also a history guy, it was grounded in physical education. It was grounded in um, being physically literate to understand how to be educated as a whole person. And that's what keeps coming to my mind in just the first few minutes of the show. So the, people have been talking about the need for, uh, you know, more, uh, you know, in some ways there's a lot of critics of Common Core, but they are trying to, I think, in some ways tie everything together, even though we have a bit to go on that. Does that make sense? Have you guys heard of uh, L.P. Jacks? I haven't. Really? Well, I have not heard of him. Really a great read, I've... yeah. Yeah, I would love to check that out. Um, and, and it reminds me of the what you might call the geometry of the old and the new way. And the, the, the old way, the basic geometry, was always about the circle. And you see it in indigenous cultures all around the world. It's the, this emphasis on the circle. But in the new way, in the modern way, our geometry is all about straight lines and right angles and boxes and spreadsheets. And that gives you a very different result. So in a real short story here, I, I think that what we really need to be doing is turning back towards circular ideas instead of boxes and right angles. Yeah, that reminds me of something I learned a long time ago from one of my mentors, that the, the restorative patterns, if you look at geometry, circular, spiral, and figure eight. And once I grasped that, all of my cha uh, training changed. I really started to examine how I was moving, and I realized it was very, very linear. You know, I, I came out of cycling and running, so 
pretty much a straight line type of athlete. And then I started deviating a little bit, but it really wasn't until after the age of 50 that I really started to get that. And now that's what I'm playfully chasing. I, I wouldn't say working at it hard because it. I, one of the things I had to relearn was the play part of it. And, and Frank, your work was um, part of me coming back to that. I'm looking at you, you know, we're about the same age, and I'm, I'm thinking, you know, this guy seems to be enjoying himself, you know. He looks to be pretty fit. Um, there's got to be more to it than the straight line stuff. So, yeah, I th- I think there's a lot to that um, for sure. Michael, you have something. To add. We've talked about this a number of times before the show. Yeah. Despite my presence here, I'm happy just to listen. <laughs> well, free, feel free to jump in. Michael, uh, one of these guys that is a deep thinker, um, despite being a fitness guy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I love talking English literature and philosophy with, with Michael. But that's true. And straight line, too, with something, uh, you know, just looking at yin-yang balance and feminine versus male energy, and I, I've really understood this a lot better in just the last year, if not the last few months, is how male-dominated so many of these activities are. And any time that goes unchecked, ultimately it's a crash and burn and at the highest level, people are killing each other, you know. So the the feminine side of movement, I really tapped into that, especially the last couple of years, and and tried to restore that that uh, what was missing in my movements previously. Right. Well, you know, the other uh, shape that shows up in the new way geometry so much is the pyramid, and this is it's it's everywhere in our hyper competitive modern culture and we spend so much of our time trying to conduct uh construct these pyramids uh not just literal ones Mm -hmm. but um hierarchies in social settings and so we've got the winter olympics going on right now which is very much about trying to sort out who gets to be at the top of the hierarchy right that's a weird abnormal idea in terms of human history i mean Primal native people didn't do that. So that's another thing that we need to keep in mind is why are we being so competitive with one another? That's a good point. You know, there's there's all this. And, you know, I did my master's thesis on uh, sport and exercise psychology for youth sports coaches and parents. So, you know, I really looked at – and I'm a competitive athlete, so I appreciate that. I know you're a martial artist. Michael, you've done your thing. We all get that. However, this this relentless drive to – overemphasize the competitiveness can really ruin <laughs> the uh, the higher level learnings of the sport. Uh, mm-hmm. And then the, the youth sports become like adult sports, which that model is basically about entertainment and money. And so that's not really what we want, want for our kids. But can we talk about the circle again? You know, there was a reason the Knights met around a round table, you know, and can we talk about the um, and I think, Frank, you know a lot more about this, at least than I do, um, is the, the arrangement of people in a circle. And what, what can we talk more about that? Because I don't know as much as you do about the tribal significance of that, the circle, and communication of the well, circle. Yeah, you know, if you think about human history, and you could go back even before Homo sapiens and living on a grassland um, environment where there's predators and there's danger and you're you have no weapons you have
too much for you. So how do you defend yourself? The only way is tr- is tribal living, and you organize yourself into circles. Once people um, discovered how to use fire, we naturally gathered in circles around the campfire. So that shape of social organization is probably at least a million years old. And so it's natural that that would affect our cognition as well and our social sensitivities. Mm-hmm. I think uh, when we depart from the circle, it causes us um, stress and anxiety, too. So there, there's something very deep in our history about the circle. Hmm. Boy, there's just so much out there to learn. I, I've joked with so many people over the years, Frank. I've, I've in fact, I had a client that came over, uh, one of my former corporate clients retired, and he was kind of was off doing his thing for a couple of years and started falling apart. He goes, I need to get back with you. So he comes over, and at the end of the session, I go, he was saying something like, you're, you know, you're such an expert. I go, well, at, at this point, I've become a solid beginner. And he, <laughs> he kind of looks at me and smiles. I go, man, there's just so much out there. You know, we, we could explore the circle thing for de- decades, you know. Um, but I, I think rather than be competitive with that, I've learned to be playful with it because if I, if I was being competitive with it like I used to be, it would just kill me that I didn't know as much as I thought I knew 10 years ago. So I enjoy not knowing. I enjoy the, the, the struggle of, of learning more and, and getting better somehow through what I read and, and how I move. Yeah, yeah, the beginner's mind and the importance of trying new disciplines is a big deal. And also learning about the perils of specialization and digging one hole too deep because uh, you you inevitably then lose contact with other things too if you specialize too much. Right. It, it kind of reminds me of what some professional uh teachers now are doing is advocating for this, what they call a T model of, um, of learning and experience. So uh, the crossbar on the T is horizontal, which, which means you're, you're looking for breadth, and on the vertical axis, you're looking for depth. So you, take, you have one specialization, but then you balance that out with learning broadly as well. And you see this in all different fields, from law to medicine to you know whatever it is. It's like you got to be broad and you got to go have one specialization too. Uh, yeah, I think I think that's an important point. I remember in grad school, I kept being pressed to specialize, and I I finally realized what I really wanted. If I listened to myself, is I wanted to be a specialist <laughs> at being a generalist, and yeah. that's what I kept pursuing. And then when I, I did corporate health, about. 15 years at a pretty high level. And what I ended up having to do is just that I had, I had to have a pretty broad base and I had my, you know, specialty areas and, you know, very good with certain tools and types of movement and things like that. But I, I really, they threw a lot at me and I had to deal with it. And if I only had one hole, that was really deep. It would never fit (laughs) all these people in all these different conditions and ages that, uh, and their family members that, that I really needed to take care of. So I, I, you know, we saw that happen in medicine. Everybody's a specialist, and now we're ha- struggling to have, you know, general physicians. You know, um, yeah. the pendulum swings one way and then the other, right? Right. Yeah, but what I found, you know, doing this, I, I got back. I double majored in PE and English in my undergrad, and it I ended up being a physical education 
teacher for adults in corporate. I mean, that's really what it amounted to. Of course, there were health aspects to that, but um, getting back to helping people move better so they can think better, so they can be better citizens and better people. And this is an old idea yeah. that goes back to ancient Greece, and uh, Frank's you know, work reflects that. Michael, you and I have talked about that a lot, and it, it's so far yeah. beyond the physique part of it, right? So when yes, the, we can we can put the body right at the center of the wheel of uh, of human experience, and that's really where I think it belongs, um, as opposed to modern culture where we present the body as just sort of a, another option in education, where somebody could choose it as if it were a hobby, you know, something like wine tasting or photography or something. But it's so much more important than that, and. You know, we see uh, around the world in, in educational institutions, the PE teacher is always at the bottom of the totem pole. And, you know, that's that's really common in the U.S., but apparently it's, it's almost universal around the world, except in some Eastern countries and, you know, Native communities where the body is still held to be central to the human experience. So we've obviously got totem pole situation that is maybe upside down. <laughs> well, absolutely, because, you know, as a fitness historian, what's what's ironic about that is it, it used to be the pinnacle of education. I mean, up yeah. to up to 50% yeah. of Greek education was based on physical, and, it, and there was a time in the 1800s when American educators were talking about making physical education 30% of the curriculum. And why? Mm -hmm. Because to, so they could just go out and play, you know, basketball? And you, no, it was because that, that's the foundation of learning, you know. Right. And somehow we've gotten so far uh, away from that, which was, you know, a large reason why um, we did the movie The Motivation Factor about the history of PE and the value of physical education for education in general and good citizenship. It goes so much beyond, you know, just having a PE class and people flopping around. Um, you know, there was a there was such a sophistication with the 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 older generations of physical educators. I mean and oftentimes they were physicians. You know, you look back pre nineteen twenty, a lot of the people teaching the gymnastics courses were physicians themselves. They had a command of the body, not just on the medical side, but also on the movement side. And uh, we really need a little return to that. So on, yeah. if we tease this out, I mean, your your background is uh, biology and neuroscience. And I know we did a show a few <clears throat> years ago with uh, Dr. Kwame Brown about play oh, and, yeah, about the psychology of play and all that. And he was another guy. You know, we don't always agree, but I, I like the guy. He's not afraid to <laughs> he's not afraid to speak his mind. He's He's gotten into my head probably more than he realizes, but he really <laughs> he really got me to thinking about this play thing, him and some other people. Um, but he was definitely one of the one of the first guys that started talking to me about that. So, and then that kind of led me to you and and some other folks. Um, nice, yeah, yeah. Kwame is quite a character, and uh, he's been a big inspiration to me. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Let's talk about um, activism. You know, as as health leaders and uh, fitness professionals, getting beyond the brand getting beyond um, the me, the selfie, the 
the immediate, uh, you know, bank account dividend from YouTube or whatever. Um, what is, you know, you've been talking a little bit about that. I'm not sure if some people understand it, and I, I think this would be a nice time to discuss that. Sure. Well, I, I can take a lead on that, and then um, Michael love to hear from you on it as well. Um, my sort of insight on this, and it, it's not a breathtaking insight, but at one point in my athletic career, I asked myself the question, where does health come from? And I rejected a lot of options right off the bat. I said, well, it doesn't come from particular substances that you ingest, and it doesn't come even from particular exercises, and it doesn't really come from experts. If you look at the biology, it ultimately comes from the sun, because the sun gives energy to the plants and animals in your habitat, and so that's one source of our health. And then the other source is evolution, which has given us this vast primordial history that still lives in our bodies. So those are the two big sources. And also our tribe. Tribe gives us health, too. So if you look at it that way, and then the next insight is to say, well, these things are under threat. Our habitat is under threat. Um, We are doing tremendous damage to the earth and, in turn, to our own bodies. You can't separate these things out. So if you look at what we're inflicting on the earth now, that that is directly damaging to our bodies, and we can't take that line down. <laughs> we have to become activists. If you care about the body, you have to care about the earth, and there's really no recourse there. There's no way that you can stand by and pretend that the earth, that the body is somehow isolated from habitat, because it's not. If you, if you have no habitat, you have no health, and that's why the call to activism, I think, is there's so many benefits to being outside and, if you will, having a sense of activism to encourage outdoor activity, whether it's walking or, you know, fitness training or hiking or just observing nature. So many lessons historically that shows us this is something not to delete <laughs> from our urban vocabulary, if you will. Uh it reminds me a little Hebert's work out of France. Uh, Philippe Till has worked on that, transcribing that from the original French language. And, you know, and Hebert and others in that era, pre-1920, talked a lot about hygiene. And it wasn't like washing the laundry hygiene. It was being out in the sun and being um, being able to be in uh, different temperature ranges. And I know Frank has talked about that, whether it's cold or hot or windy or wet. Um, so one of the things I like to do is get out. Uh, and run with just my shorts and no shirt. And even in the winter when it's cold, I'll oftentimes be just out there exposed to the to the elements and trying to get in touch with what I feel. And I was thinking of this the other day. One of the most pleasurable sensations when I'm trail running in canyons is to go from a, a coolness or cold into a, a gust or a vortex kind of a, a warm air draft and where the temperature change can be, you know, 15 or 20 degrees in just a few seconds and just having that sensation and getting outside there. I, there's probably so many more benefits of that than, than we can even, you know, discuss. Um, right. And you think of the people that are locked into their phone inside under artificial lighting and 
the amount of uh, you know depression and yes, things going on. Yes, if you had on. one, if, if you were to give just one word to describe the modern indoor alien environment, that word would be chronic, mm-hmm. because we've got the lights on all the time now, and temperatures always the same. Conditions are the floors are always flat and level, so it's all one big monotone, and the body doesn't thrive under those conditions. We like diversity. The, right. the tissue needs to be pumped by uh, by movement, by temperature, by up and down hills, the whole thing. Yeah. So. I just had a flashback. I did a presentation once for a hiking club, and a lot of people were there. I was talking about foot fitness. And so, of course, I had everyone take their shoes and socks off. And I remember there were a lot of uh, people there that were over 60 and I can still remember looking out at the crowd and, and seeing some of the people looking at their feet like they'd never seen them before. It was the most bizarre <laughs> experience, you know, because <laughs> they're so used to being shod and having all the bolt-ons, you know, and, and just yep. really getting into root cause. Like, can we just kind of work on the feet here and ground down and really talk about how important this is, you know? It just comes back to the basics. The more I, the more I learn, the more I realize that. <laughs> That's funny. Well, yeah, well, getting back to the theme of activism on behalf of the Earth and our future, the other theme that I keep getting back to is responsibility and meaning, because we're starting to see more and more articles and books now about the importance of meaning in health, and this goes back, of course, to Viktor Frankl and his, his, his book, Man's Search for Meaning, and we know that it's important for resilience meaning is essential and that's how you get meaning is by taking responsibility for things beyond yourself and that's the connection to activism because if you start to act on behalf of the wider world that can bring a lot of meaning into your life and that's what helps make you stronger just um, acting on behalf of yourself all the time that's a that's a kind of meaning that runs out Right. And I think this plays into what I've learned over the years, and I've talked to Michael about this too, is um, like the gentleman that came to me a, a couple of weeks ago, I said, the, the first thing, you know, I understand, you know, you have this issue and this mechanically and physically. I said, we really need to talk about philosophy. Because if I, if I can't discuss this with you and have a conversation about it, so you know the why we're even doing this in the first place beyond not, you know, creating another doctor bill for you. Then it, 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 I'm just fitness training people, and I, I, I just don't feel like I'm, I'm doing much for you. And so yeah. the why is so critically important. And, and usually when I, I have people writing me all the time about um, the film or the La Sierra program, and, and what are the standards? You know, what, what were the high level? You know, push up stand. I go, how about the philosophy behind the program? You know. Yeah. And there is usually the crickets are, you know, very little noise at that point. Sometimes I never hear from them again. But Laprati, the head of the PE program there, was big in the philosophy of the program. That was right up front. It, there was no hiding that. I mean, it, the handbook that went with the program was entitled philosophy of, you know, training or whatever. It was it was central to what they did, the, the, the higher purpose um, of citizenship. So... That's different. <laughs> it's different than what we see today, and I I hope the younger people uh, grasp that. 
that there, there's there's something a lot deeper going on here. Right. Well, that reminds me of another idea is to take a, a look at these these issues across the lifespan of an athlete, for example, mm-hmm. or just somebody who's interested in their body. And I, I think what you see is with young kids, you really want them to succeed as individuals and give them the opportunity to train and build their bodies and make themselves stronger. And then they can get meaning from that as individuals. But by the time you hit mid-career, you've got to be making a transition to something else because the, the individualism and the narcissism can't sustain you for your whole life. Right. And you eventually get to the point where you realize you have to start giving this stuff back. You have to start spending your health, giving your health away to the community and to you know the world around you. And that your, your philosophy becomes more sophisticated that you get away from the narcissism. And it's, uh, it's, a, it's a great thing. That's why so many people get older. They maybe get an injury or something. They go into coaching. That's a great thing. And, of course, there's a lot of ways to give it away. Right, and this is a critical point, I think. I, I come out of ultra-endurance sports, um, cycling and, and uh, photographing the Badwater Ultra Marathon. So I don't do ultra-running, but I am a runner. But just seeing this over the years, you know, there are kind of two camps, if I simplify this and silo them. There's the the people that get it at a spiritual level. They're there for community service, and they're taking that back to the youth or whatever. And then there's this, there's this uh, insatiable quest to get, another trophy or do another race. And I started noticing this 20 years ago. You'd be at the finish line and, like, you know, just finish this epic event and people are already talking about the next one. It's like you haven't even enjoyed this one. We haven't even changed out of our racing gear, you know. <laughs> and there, there's no there's no in-the-moment appreciated. It's like, okay, off to the next. It's like, well, what? And then why are we doing it? I mean, why the hell are we doing it in the first place? Because at some point, at some point, I had enough trophies and records and whatever. It's like there's got to be more to it than this. And then, and then I started going into schools and just talking about health in general. And um, yeah. well, Frank, um, Frank, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure it's not wrong. My understanding of indigenous cultures is there was no I. It was more of an us. Yeah, I, you know, I haven't been able to verify this, but that's what I've heard about the, uh, for example, the Lakota language, was that mm-hmm. there was no words for I or me, and it was, there was really no emphasis on the I at all, and to, to focus on the I would have been to be, that would have been slapped down real quick. Wow. <laughs> you know, yeah. gatherer so, setting. This, yeah. this is bizarre. You you're not out <laughs> in this, Rather in than the, the outlier being. That was wrong. Um, well, like the outlier is the person who embraces the individual and the group right. is, uh, you know, that's considered the bad thing. And now in this society, it's considered the good thing. Yep. Yep. The, the pendulum swings back and forth. You know, some societies are more communal. Some are more uh, individualistic. And we are at the extreme end of the individualistic end of it you know we live and die by our resumes um, and if you don't have the right words on your resume then you could very well be excluded 
and that 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 sets up a lot of stress and anxiety and fear that's just coursing through our culture right now. Yeah, what does it all mean? Right? I mean, what what do the records mean? What what does your fitness mean? How how can you use it to better the human condition? Be an activist if you will. Um, because at, at this point at 58 years old, if, if I'm not feeling that, then I'm out, you know, <laughs> right. I mean, there's gotta be more to it than just, you know, I can get down the trail pretty well and still pass a few people, you know, you know, a, a concept out of, uh, classical PE, if not beyond PE was all for one, one for all. And that was a big thing, uh, at La Sierra in the early 1960s, and the critics of that would say, well, it's just groupthink. But I, I have to flash back to, to me, like the ultimate example of classical PE was the Czech Sokols. I mean, they were just amazing. It, if you know anything about the Sokols, it was a basically a cradle-to-grave physical education program where the youth came in, and then you would do some competition if you were able to, and then you would do coaching. And if you couldn't do coaching, you would do... Um, you know, volunteer work to set up the gymnastic events and help at the YMCA or whatever. And the so-called system was all volunteer. I mean, they would put hundreds of thousands of people on a field for what they were called SLETs, S-L-E-T. And it was uh, basically group calisthenics, mass calisthenics was the technical term. And all, you know, it wasn't uh, – people would say, well, that looks military. Well, it's just how you ha- – you know, if you're going to move a lot of people in an organized manner, you know, the mass calisthenics is kind of – that's the way it, to do it, right? But the women were involved. The children were involved. It wasn't just the males, and it wasn't military-driven. It was just a beautiful way um, to live, and they were – they were big community leaders, and they came over from Czechoslovakia fleeing, you know, other issues. And then, of course, so many of them stayed here, and uh, they established themselves here. And they, they did some amazing work here in the United States, even uh, at the very high level in Washington, D.C. And so they, they, they got it. They pulled it off. It was mass calisthenics. It was the whole Greek mind, body, spirit thing. It was all there. It was, they were, they were huge, Frank and uh, Michael on the libraries and literacy and the arts. I mean, it was all there. It was beautiful. And now it's all gone. (laughs) Yeah, they have, they have, they have uh, a so-called organizations, but if you look at the website of the old so-called halls, it's just all the same stuff. They're not, they're not really doing what they used to do. I've even contacted a few of them, and I can't get anybody to write me back. I, I actually have some amazing uh, archival stuff on the Sokols, things that are out of circulation that people haven't read in 50 years. It's amazing. It's beautiful. Absolutely stunning. Yeah, there's a lot of people doing good work out there, for sure. Yeah, so I think, you know... Um, if we kind of bring this full circle, if you will, no pun intended, but, you know, taking the old and moving it forward. And I know, Frank, you've talked about that. I've talked about that with Michael because nothing really stays the same. It's always in flux. We like it to be the same, but it's not. It's always moving and it's it's plastic, if you will. You know, how do we take the lessons of the past and and move that forward? Because we do have a different culture today, and the kids, while they are very capable, there are certain you know, postural deviations and things that 
you know, weren't as prevalent 50 years ago and constraints in that. I, you know, I see that I do some work with younger people today and, um, just getting them down in a, a push-up position, you can just see the, the deformity, you know? So, you know, how do we move this forward and get people to understand why they should be listening? Because I think this is always a challenge or has been for me in my career with the historic things is that people don't know what they don't know. And oftentimes they don't know what they should be paying attention to. So how, how do we, how do we get that message out in part today? Um, right. Well, you know, I, I was, been in the martial arts for a lot of years, and I remain a strong advocate of that model because it's um, it's community based. It's simple. You don't. Re- it doesn't require really anything except the floor, mm-hmm. um, and it's a real distraction-free environment. <laughs> so that you go into a martial arts studio, a dojo. And you're expected to bow to the mat, and you're expected to bow to the sensei, and you're expected to kneel down and do one thing at a time. And that highly disciplined um, method really focuses the mind and the body together in the same place at the same time. And that's something that's missing, even in, in conventional gyms and in conventional PE classes where things can get pretty scattered pretty fast. The martial art model is really good, and I would like to see that in schools. I would like to see it all over the place. Of course, it's time-intensive, and that's, you know, you have to wear the uniform. There's certain um, challenges along that way, but I love the martial art model. I think it's fantastic. Well, that was, you know, part of, um, that was part of La Sierra's history, classical PE in general, but in our film, uh, we we highlighted a program that's still running the La Sierra model pretty much, the only one in the country really. And it's a middle school up in Modesto, California, which is Central Valley, California, which has some socioeconomic challenges. And this particular school, kind of middle class, it's got kids there that are homeless and kids there from the country club. And all kinds of different diversity, you know, races and religions. And there's no bullying. And it's ability grouped, meaning, you know, depending on how fit you are and where you test, you're, you're at certain levels and get certain patches and things like that. So that's it's like the martial art belt system in a way. Um, that's how La Sierra uh, ran their program as well. And there is something about having the uniform. Um, you know, I'm thinking of Eric Kenyon. He's a strength uh, coach friend of mine up in the uh, Grass Valley, Nevada City area out of Sacramento. And uh, he's big on, uh, he, he works with an Olympic athlete. And one of the things that they came up with a few years ago is when you come to train, you need to be in a uniform. It's just like there's a different mindset to it. And this whole multitasking, you know, it's like just washing that out and really focusing. I'm reading a book right now or just finished it called uh, We Need to Talk. I heard about it. An NPR host wrote it. And it's really fascinating. It, it was just, I think it's only about a year old. And in the beginning of the book, the author talks about the latest neuroscience research with technology and multitasking and how it's basically crap. I mean, you you can't do all these different things at once with high quality. It just doesn't work that way. And the value of of what Frank was talking about, which is let's focus on this right now exclusively. And it's very cleansing. Um, athletes call that the zone. Right, you're doing yeah. this. 
and you're not distracted by that. Well, I shall drag us kicking and screaming back to activism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I remember that uh, right after the orange guy was elected, um, someone posted on their Facebook that his actions and whoever's in office will not affect what I do. And this guy was big into the outside workouts and being in nature. And it occurred to me that was an extremely short-sighted view because what is going to happen is it's going to affect everybody and it's going to affect us drastically. So to think that you have a little corner of nature all to yourself that's not going to be affected by these outside forces is a little bit uh, uh, close-minded, I guess. Well, even if you were just taking care of your own stuff, I mean, is that really what we want out of it? I mean, I think more and more people, and I'm talking about people completely outside the fitness industry now, are starting to understand, like, something has really gone awry here. I, I, we need to do something different. We're zigging and zagging a lot trying to figure out what that should be or what it needs to look like, but I think a lot of people have come to the realization, okay, I need to talk and uh, you know, express that I don't approve of what's going on today. So the the quest for me is how to have a better conversation and not just be screaming and yelling at people, but like, well, how can we talk about this? How can I listen to someone with different ideas? And I I like learning things. I like someone showing me that I missed something and that the playfulness of that and letting the ego go is really important or was for me. It's like, okay, if I can get by myself, I might actually learn something, you know, and reserve the yeah. right to change my mind. Um, and hopefully I do because that means I'm getting better if I'm finding a better way to do it or I miss something along the way. Wouldn't be the first time. Yeah, it feels like we are on on a cusp of something new happening. And it might take a cataclysm. It might take some major um, event in society to really push us to a new level, but uh, a lot of people are talking this way. Look at not being content with things as they are right now. Like, yeah, let's uh, let's start talking to each other and let's start moving our bodies. Let's start saving the world. Let's start saving habitat, saving corridors. All of these things are really important. Right now. And, and the, the, uh, go ahead, Mike. Well, a lot has to do with you know Frank's suggestion that we're disconnected, that yeah. our ability to destroy everything around us is a function of that disconnect, that if you don't see yourself as part of the world around you, there's nothing to stop you from destroying it. Right. It's got to go beyond yourself. And movement is critical to this. If you look at history and you go back to ancient Greece, you know, you can't think well if you're not moving well. And it's not just moving more, because we have a culture and fitness where people are doing a lot of stuff they probably shouldn't be doing, you know, in terms of looking at joint replacements and the, the pain medications that people are on, you know. Um, so it's moving more and moving well and therefore thinking well. And, uh, you know, I've seen this, uh, and, and Frank, your background is neuroscience and so is uh, Kwame, I've been working with some neurosurgeons the last few years and just seeing the 
the improvement in their cognitive ability from just, you know, some basic fundamental exercise on a daily basis is pretty profound. And this comes directly from them. You know, I'm sitting right in front of them and they're, they're talking to me about it. I'm like, okay, these guys are really smart. You know, <laughs> if, if they can get a significant cognitive boost out of exercising and, and being a little bit healthier, it, there's got to be something in for the rest of us that is worth paying attention to. And I think, right. Well, if you- if you look at the muscular system itself, people think that muscles are really just dumb, contractile fibers, mm-hmm. but they're not. They're, they're really metabolically active, and they, they function as a sensory system in its own right. So when you don't move the body, you basically take this huge amount of sensation out of the system. Mm-hmm. And so now the central part of the system isn't stimulated the the way it normally would be. And so it's a kind of blindness, really. And so it makes sense you would lose cognitive ability. Mm -hmm. Your body is only halfway there. I think this, um, to just tease this out a little bit more on the neurosurgery end, Frank, because you've you've talked about, I watched some of your videos and read some of your writings about, um, you know, the hazards of modern living, right? The neurosurgeons have the highest uh, divorce rate, highest burnout rate, highest suicide rate, um, because they basically, and I didn't realize this till I was on deck working with them in the hospital setting, is it's like they're in residency for their whole lives. They're always on call. They have very little family uh, life in terms of they're going to be home at a certain time. And they, they lost their sense of tribe. I mean, they have their colleagues, you know, quote unquote resume stuff, but their 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 family tribe, um, their friendships, and and so what happened was they started losing some prominent neurosurgeons a few years ago, and it it kind of woke up uh, some of the the doctors that they're missing something, and they had seen some of the work that um, we were doing on the film and became inspired by it, and that's how we got together, and. Um, you know, one of them, the head of the head of the program at the university where I was at, he said, "You know, they don't teach us how to be healthy in medical school. You know, we know yeah. we know how to fix the brain, but we don't know how to be. What, what is well-being?" He goes, "What is that?" You know, so they're 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 intrigued by my historical perspective because, like, hey, the physicians were at the, if you will, the top of the pyramid. They were teaching the classes. They got it. Right. And they're very inspired by that. So it, there's actually been a really significant movement in neurosurgery itself to get exercise back into their daily lifestyles. And that's pretty exciting because they are at the yeah, tip of the medical pyramid. That's, that's great to hear because uh, my experience has been when I go to see a, a general practitioner, there's very little in the way of teaching <clears throat> about how to be healthy. Right. And that that needs to come back. I mean, if, if doctors can't teach us how to be healthy, then what exactly is it that we're doing? <laughs> <laughs> it remind you know, Dr. Uh, Rokana McGregor, I'm sure you've heard of him down in Los Angeles. And I, I trained with him mm-hmm. a couple of years. Good for, yeah. Um, Zen Kahunas is like, you know, YouTube name. Um, Tara Scott trains in that group. And anyway, he. <laughs> He hasn't been a doctor like since the 1970s. It's like, you know, why would I want to go? I know how to take care of myself. He's an amazing uh, 
to to call him a body healer or, or a holistic teacher isn't doesn't do him justice. I mean, really an amazing individual with a lot of background in Chinese medicine and in so many different areas. But yeah, if you want to get sick, a lot of times going to the hospital is a good way to do it. Of course, there's a need for all the medical science at, at certain times, and I get that. But there's so much that can be done on the holistic side, and I. I think the the physicians are starting to get that they're you know it, it doesn't happen overnight but there is a trend to to return to more holistic um education in the medical school. So I'm I'm hoping this continues and we'll see where it goes but surely it's not sustainable the way we're going with with healthcare. I know in corporate, you know, the the biggest the biggest obstacle sometimes for a company is just dealing with the healthcare and that's why one of the reasons why we lost so many jobs overseas over the decades is just poor health you know can't yeah. afford to pay the benefits which brings us back in closing just uh maybe a couple little shares here you know we're all over 50 and um can get down the road pretty well and it's just interesting you know when i go out and do my trail running and training and uh, I'm very open to talking to people that want to come up and talk to me um, as a way to help the the tribal community, if you will. And there, there, so often there's a sense of kind of shock at at how I move at my age. Um, and working with Philippe Till and the the natural method out of France, and he said, you know what what you're doing, Ron, is you're you're just aging um, like a natural person should age in terms of how you move and the types of tools that you use. I've got my challenges on the stress side of it for sure, and I'm far from perfect. However, on the movement side, you know, he says you're really, you know, kind of lining up with what they were writing about 100 years ago. So, Michael, uh, Frank, you got anything to add to that just about, you know, how you move and, you know, at over 50 and your thoughts on that? Um, yeah I mean I I run a class for old people and just getting them to do real basic movements is like pulling teeth it's almost as if they reject the idea that they can regain what they had Hmm. and so that's the, the challenge I deal with every single class trying to help them reestablish their position in the universe. I worked with seniors for five years when I first started my career at the community college, and uh, they taught me more than I taught them, I'm sure. But one of the things I noticed about them, you know, working with some World War II veterans, and uh, um, they were very proud and wanted to be independent, and they they had a lot of intrinsic motivation, um, at least in my class, to show up and, and do the work, and they, they didn't want to be not doing what the other people were doing because it was an actual a community class for people 18 to uh, my oldest student was 92. And uh, that was encouraging. And what I noticed as I started, it's like some of my people over 70 were moving better than the kids right out of high school. And I thought that was kind of bizarre. <laughs> and then I started talking to them like, well, you know, What's your background? And and they started talking a lot about Jack Lane and just PE and schools, and that kind of got me, you know, over twenty years ago on this path to start looking back at how people used to do it. Um, 
So that's kind of my thing on seniors. I mean, I, I actually really enjoyed working with that population and I got good at regression, you know, because, uh, we all had to do the same thing, but there had to be multiple levels and that I still, I think the art of regression is way undervalued today in fitness. It's always about progression instead of going back to what I learned from history is 90% perfection. Always, you know, that's what I'm always shooting for. And if I can't get it, I regress. I go lighter, slower, you know, less volume until I get that about 90%. And even if it's a one rep set and things start to rock at that point, that's when I really started improving again. Frank, you're, you come from martial arts and I don't, I don't know about Michael, but, um, you know, I've watched your videos. I mean, you're very good mover. Um, what are your thoughts on moving over 50 well, I think you just got to do what you love. And, you know, I love fluid movement outdoors. And I, I guess the benefit of having trained for a lot of years is that if I'm sitting at my desk for a few hours and I start to feel really, just, you know, toxic and sludgy and uncomfortable and unhappy, I, I get up. I know that I have to get out and move. I'm happy to do it. Um, you know, for me, it's a real celebration of getting away from my work and getting away from my desk. And um, I couldn't imagine living without it. Well, you know, I, yeah, having done corporate 15 years, a lot of people, they just sit at that desk 10 hours a day, you know? And, uh, yeah, it's uh, – what fascinates me is um, – looking for ways to weave movement into daily life. So, for example, I have a dumbbell in my office. And, you know, if I'm having to download some computer thing that's going to take a few minutes, well, I, I can just get up out of my chair and do some movement. And even if I don't do a hardcore workout, I'm still getting movement throughout the day. I've got a medicine ball in my living room. I've got, you know, a pull-up bar in my house. And I've got things around me that I could uh, use pretty much at any time. Mm -hmm. So if I have a big day on the road or an airplane flight or something, I know how to get back into the groove. And that comes with, you know, experience. But, um, and, and it's also a question of values. I mean, for me, it's important. I, I place value on it. And I want to live a long time and be physical that whole time. So. Yeah, and it's 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 very simple. You know, it doesn't have to be overly uh, overly complicated. And I, you know, I've done a lot of traveling in the airplanes. I I've done a lot of uh, movement in the airport. You know, and I've had people come over to me sometimes and say, "Wow, that looks like there's something I should be doing." It's like, "Well, you know, join me." It's like I have yet to have anyone join me, but I, you know, I've done yoga. You know, I, I've done dynamic right. movements. I've done tai chi. You know, in the corner and just. Uh, you know, whatever I can to kind of get loosened up and reboot my brain a little bit. But, yeah. Would it be overly off topic to get Frank to throw out a little something about his new book? Well, yeah, as we bring it to a close here, because we've been going about 55 minutes, I, I do want to do the uh, uh, the branding part. <laughs> so I'd like you guys to give out your websites and, you know, uh, what you're working on now. And I know, Frank, you've done some public speaking and different types of workshops. You've got something coming up with Chip Conrad in Sacramento, which 
I have a lot of respect for Chip's work and his philosophy behind what he does and how he moves. So please, uh, I'll start with you, Frank. Can you give a shout-out to a couple things you're working on so people know how to get a hold of you? Yeah, well, that, the uh, Chip Conrad event, that'll be in June in Sacramento, and I'm looking forward to that. And the book I'm working on now is called New Old Way, and the subtitle is Ancestral Health and Activism for the New World. So I'm really excited about it. I mean, I've been working on this book, in, in a sense, for over 30 years. So this will be my, my best effort to date, and I'm, I'm really excited about it. And, um, you know, that may be, depending on how things roll, it'll be out maybe later this year. Great. And... You know, if people want to find out, there's exuberantanimal.com. Go there and find out more. Yeah, and I will um, put the link on our uh, – I'll build a little page on our Lean Braze website, so the links will be there for them if uh, they're on the computer. If they're just listening, um, it's exuberantanimal.com. And, Michael, you're up in Upland, California. I'm happy to say I'm going to be there next weekend. We're going to be laying out some videos and do a podcast and – um, I'm really looking forward to just playing around a little bit. Uh, how can people find you? How can they find me? Well, I prefer that they didn't. But um... <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, there's the, um, the New Warrior Gym is a project I'm working on right now. Okay. Um, if anybody's sensitive, they're best off staying away from it. <laughs> In the sake of because real activism, right? It's almost entirely, I mean, it's it's called a gym, but basically my idea is to have it be a gathering place for people to develop ideas and alternatives to current systems and to kind of use as the foundation of that, just getting stronger yeah. and use that to grow a community. And you do some personal training and things like that. Upland's actually a really cool area of Southern California. It's got a lot of history there. Some of it's a little interesting, as Michael was telling me a few weeks ago, uh, in terms of— oh, you mean the drugs in the forest? Yeah. <laughs> People stopping before they got into L.A. and then as they went out to do <clears throat> other activities. Um, but it's a nice area uh, banked by some mountains and— um, you know, I, I like going to Upland and hanging out a little bit. So, well, guys, thanks a lot for coming on the show, and let's continue to talk and promote uh, fitness as a subversive activity and, and being active and making this a, a better place for all with a, a higher purpose yeah. for sure. Thanks, guys. Well, glad to thanks join us. Yeah. Well. You've been listening to the Lean Braze radio show at theleanbraze.com. Until next time, keep moving well to think well and live better.